Testing one, two, three. Sounds okay, doesn't it? Uh, Lee, I, pre I appreciate those uh, kind words. Sunday night is a is a good place to uh, to get some practice uh, teaching or preaching, whichever. Uh, it's a user friendly audience generally, and so uh, uh, you're among friends and uh, family. So tonight, what I thought we'd do is basically part two of what we did last week, uh, except from a bit of a different perspective, more of a global perspective in, at times. Lee is correct in that a very familiar story, such as the crucifixion of Christ, uh, we can start assuming things that we've heard all our lives. You, you hear the words, the Sanhedrin, you immediately think of a kangaroo court, because that's the treatment that the Lord got. Truth was, as it was uh, organized and set up originally, the Sanhedrin was the best place in the world to get a fair trial. If you were on tri trial for a, a serious offense, like murder, you'd rather be before the Sanhedrin when it was functioning properly than any other place. We get our rights against self-incrimination from, self from the Sanhedrin. So because we've heard it so many times, sometimes it's easy to lose some interesting details Again, Jesus was denied these procedural protections that was built into the Sanhedrin. There were multiple procedural protections. Um, and last week we talked about the multiple ways that the Holy Spirit declared Jesus to be innocent, not just not guilty. A criminal downtown can be charged with a crime and found not guilty. That doesn't mean he's innocent. Jesus was the only innocent person who's ever lived. But Pontius Pilate declared Jesus innocent. Well, he found no fault in him at least four times. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with this just man. Told that to Pilate when he was on the judgment seat. Judas Iscariot. Brought, four, brought the 30 pieces of silver, threw them down in front of the Sanhedrin and said, take your money back. I've betrayed innocent blood. The lack of an accusation by the Jews when Pontius the last thing in the world, I don't care if it's Palestine 2,000 years ago or Sebastian County in 2018, you do not surprise a judge in open court, okay? It will never turn out well. And the re reason they did is this thing came together too quickly. They didn't anticipate the Jews wanted to arrest Jesus, but they didn't anticipate Judas Iscariot coming forward. And it came together too quickly for them to get their witnesses lined up or develop a really good plan for what they're going to do. So when they appeared in front of Pontius Pilate, early in the morning, he figures they just want, they're, they're jealous of this man, Jesus. And what they want to do is that they want me to do their dirty work for them. And I'm not going to do it. I'm going to remind them who has the power of the sword here. Okay? So that's what he did. He said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Uh, uh, let's, uh, what are we going to say? He doesn't care about blasphemy. 
That's what they were doing. And then somebody who wanted to help a little bit too much mentioned Galilee. <gasps> Galilee. That's Herod's jurisdiction, isn't it? And the old guys down front are going, did your mother drop you on your head when you were young? What in the world? And there's some eager beaver behind him, you know. Galilee just gave him a way out. That's a judge's way out of hearing a case is jurisdiction. Gave Pilate an excuse to transfer him to Herod uh, Antipas' jurisdiction. What they should have done was get with Pilate and, and people, this is Dale Carnegie, not, not, not the Bible, but this is the, people act out of their own self-interest. What they should have done was gotten, the, the Jews, Annas, Caiaphas, should have gotten with Pontius Pilate and said, look, we know how Tiberius feels about rebellion. Thousands of people are flocking. He just got a hero's welcome coming into Jerusalem. No doubt, Pilate, you heard about it. They were calling him the Messiah. That means their king. And he came in the way they predicted that their king would come in. So what we've done, we've arranged to arrest him away from the crowd. Nobody was hurt. We've got our hands on him. And what we're going to do is bring him to you and have you pass judgment on him. He'll be crucified and Passover will be without any rebellion whatsoever. If they had done that, it would have gone a lot smoother for them. But they didn't. So, it didn't go well. Pilate is, uh, basically, he's showing them who's got the power and who doesn't. But what I wanted to look at tonight is to see this situation properly, you have to change your paradigm, your proper, the, the view of things of what's going on here. Because what we've seen all our lives is Annas and Caiaphas, more often Caiaphas, although Annas was the, kind of the godfather. Annas and Caiaphas are the heads of the Sanhedrin. They're in the positions of power. Pontius Pilate has the soldiers. They're always dressed in the brass and everything. They've got the power. And Jesus is appearing, looking slightly emaciated, usually with his hands bound and pretty well beat up because he has been beat up. The proper view is that it is the high priests and the Sanhedrin that are on trial. Pontius Pilate is on trial and Jesus is the judge. That's the proper view of what's going on here. And it explains the demeanor of Jesus. He's the one that's calm. Jesus is respectful of the positions of everyone, even the ones that he knows have conspired to kill him. He's being lowly. He conducts himself with dignity. He respects the positions of everybody in authority, including Pilate. Immeasurable superiority over everyone around him. Totally filled with grace. But as the son of God, he expo exposes the wickedness of those who are sitting in judgment. Because they are violating, I think I counted one time, about 26 or 27 procedural rules, safeguards, 
that were violated by the Sanhedrin in the case of Jesus Christ. They violated every rule you could, you could think of. He knew they were violating them, but he didn't protest. He was meek, which made it even worse for them. Sanhedrin was composed of 24 chief priests, 23 scribes, 24 elders, and a high priest. And they did have some procedural rights, such as the right to a public trial. In the daytime, a public trial, not being hauled in front of Annas at night, that was against their procedural violation. You couldn't, no one, there was only one judge, that was their law. There was one judge, that's God. So no one judge could hear a matter. And there was to be a defendant. They, they, he had a, the, the defendant in, a, in the Sanhedrin, he had a right to, to a defense. And that was usually conducted by the judges. We think of the judges as prosecutors because that's the way they acted in the case of Jesus. They, didn't pro they weren't prosecutors. They could not originate any charges. Charges could not come from the Sanhedrin. Charges came from witnesses. We have prosecutors in our courts. They didn't have any prosecutors. They had witnesses. And when those witnesses came forward, that's what started the legal proceeding. But those witnesses had to tell exactly the same story, and that's what they could not do here because they hadn't had time to what we call woodshed them. Here's what I'm going to ask you. Here's what you're going to say. Here's what I'm going to ask you. Here's what you're going to say. That's perfectly proper, even in downtown court, because you want your witness to know where you're going with this. They didn't have time to woodshed their witnesses. So if one witness said, the defendant's charged with, uh, uh, let's say, idolatry, I saw him worshiping the sun. Another witness says, I saw him worshiping the moon. Not guilty. Got to tell the exact same story. Possibly the most unusual procedural rule of the Sanhedrin. Get ready. A unanimous vote of guilty is not guilty. How about that? Why would that be? Because something's wrong. The fix is in. If you have a unanimous vote of guilty, then your, then your verdict, gentlemen of the Sanhedrin, must be a directed verdict of not guilty. That was one of their protections so that there wasn't some shenanigans that went on and an innocent person convicted. Of course, we all know the fate of a false witness. It was a murder trial. The false witness got the same thing as the, uh, and he committed perjury. He got the punishment that the accused did. No legal proceedings at night. Jesus' arrest was at night. Illegal arrest. Proceedings in front of Annas were at night. Proceedings in front of Caiaphas were at night. Be not a sole judge, for there is no one judge, there is no judge but one. That's the quote that I was looking for. That's coming out of the Mishnah. And I've got to read this carefully. An accused man, because this is our Fifth Amendment, 
An accused man never be subjected to private or secret examination, lest in his perplexity he furnish damaging testimony against himself. You've got a right against self-incrimination. That's where the Fifth Amendment came from. Therefore, the whole thing on, as to Jesus was, was illegal, the whole inquiry. And again, the Sanhedrin could not originate charges, which they certainly did when they conspired to, uh, when uh, Caiaphas came up with the conspiracy to murder Jesus. Now, <clears throat> Jesus before Pontius Pilate is an interesting exchange. I'm looking at John 18. A lot of things going on in John 18 and 19. John 18, 33 through 38. And he's, Jesus has been brought before Pilate. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and, call, and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? That's another illegal question even under Roman law. Calls for self-incrimination. Jesus answered him, now get ready for this, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of thee? Of, of, to thee of me. And what Jesus is saying is, wait a minute, Pilate. Governor Pilate, I cannot answer the question the way that you framed it. However, I'll answer it both ways. If you are asking me, am I a threat to Rome and Roman interest? Am I a secular, kind of secular king? The answer is no. But I, yes, I was born to be a king in a spiritual sense. And I am a king, but I'm not a threat to Rome. That's what Jesus is really saying with this answer, and I don't think Pilate had ever heard anything like that ever before him. Pontius Pilate, during this inquiry, forms the distinct belief that Jesus is not a threat to Rome. And that's Pilate's interest. The, the secular interest is his interest. He, he's not interested in the religious question. There are four groups of wicked people that are still present today. Okay? These groups, the Sadducees, they entered into a conspiracy to murder Jesus. Sadducees didn't believe in uh, the resurrection. They were interested in money, power, position. And there's a lot of people today that are not going to follow Jesus because of their money, power, and position. They're not going to give it up. There's another kind of wicked. There's just the ignorant people that are just ignorant of Jesus. They don't know anything about it. The, Romans did, the Roman soldiers didn't know anything about Jesus. They're just following orders. They didn't inquire. They didn't have any reason to know. Then there's the religious wicked. These are the Pharisees. They rely on their ability to keep the law. Well, nobody can keep the law completely. They rely on their ability to do more things right than they do wrong, and they don't trust Jesus as their Savior in the spiritual sense. 
And then a really interesting group is what I would call the fickle wicked. This is the crowd. These are the ones that were there saying Hosanna when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the, on the colt, on the little donkey, just like he was predicted in Zechariah 9. All the Jerusalem got it. They understood. He was, Jesus had always said, not now. Don't, don't tell anybody I heal that person. Don't, don't, not now. Now was the time. And he was saying, I'm the one you've been waiting for. And they went crazy. They, they, they went so crazy over Jesus coming in as the Messiah. They worried the Sanhedrin that they were worried the Romans might come down on them. Rebellion. That's one thing Tiberius would not tolerate. But many in that same group would turn on Jesus just a few days later. Because he primarily because he was he was not the kind of savior they had in mind. And that's certainly true of a lot of people today. Jesus is not here to, to work for us. He is here to be a savior. And he's got his own agenda, and we need to try to our best to find out what it is. But it may not be our agenda. They had an agenda. They wanted him to go to the uh, Fortress Antonia, oust the Romans, arm the people, and take over Palestine. That was what they had in mind. When Jesus turned out to be a suffering Savior, they didn't want any part of it. That's how the fickle a crowd can be. What category would Pilate fall in? He was part of the knowing wicked because he knew. He found Jesus not guilty several times. He even, at one point, to get away from the crowd, he, he called Jesus in, and Jesus didn't have any problem going in and talking to Pilate by himself. And uh, the others would not, but Jesus didn't mind. He wasn't contaminated or polluted by being in a Roman place. Pilate brought him back there so he could make an objective inquiry without having to shout down the crowd. And he did so, and he became convinced that Jesus was not a threat to Rome. In Matthew 27, 22, Pilate asked a couple of good questions. First question he asked was, what is truth? And he asked it of truth himself. Sadly, he didn't stick around for an answer. Because he probably kind of sped it out like... What is truth? And what he was saying in his Roman way was, truth doesn't matter. All that matters is what Tiberius thinks. And if you're in Tiberius's favor, you're in. If you're out of favor, you could be recalled, you could be executed. Where does truth enter into this? That's what I interpret him as saying. The second good point he made, which has echoed down through the centuries ever since he said it, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? That question has had to be answered by every person who has lived since that time. What shall I do with Jesus? The question remains and will remain in our lives during our lifetime. What will we do with Jesus? If there's anything we can do to assist you this evening in the form of prayer or baptism, if you'll come forward, 
while uh, Ron leads us in song. <laughs>